Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Ed Hand, your host for tonight's unpublished TV panel discussion. Our topic tonight, the withering relationship between Canada and Saudi Arabia. However you're watching and listening to our show, whether through our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, or on our podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more, I'd like to remind you that you can still cast your vote on this topic at unpublished.vote and then email your MP to tell them why. Our question this week, if the accusations leveled last week were proven true, should Canada cut all ties with Saudi Arabia? At unpublished.vote, you'll find our podcast on this issue, as well as articles, opinion pieces, and research research on the issue. So let's get started. And joining us on uh, Tonight's show, David Berkison, Associate Director of International Policy at the University of Calgary School of Public Policy. Peggy Mason, President of the Rideau Institute. And Ferry de Kirchhoff is Senior Fellow, Faculty of Social Sciences, Graduate School of Public and International Affairs at UOttawa, and a former Canadian Ambassador to Egypt. And I want to thank you all for joining us. And 92% of the people who listen to our podcast, they had a chance to, to vote on whether Canada should cut all ties or not. And and I wonder, David, is that even realistic to cut ties with Saudi Arabia? Well, I don't believe that uh, giving recognition or cancelling recognition is something that uh, that we should use as a diplomatic instrument. I think that recognition is uh, is itself an instrument. We need to have communication with their government. Our people in Saudi Arabia need to be able to report back to Ottawa on what's going on from a Canadian perspective. So uh, I, I don't think we should cut diplomatic relations with, with anybody on the basis of uh, their actions. I mean, I think a country would have to do something really, really, really egregious for us to cut diplomatic relations. But uh, there are certainly steps that we can take to let the Saudis know that we are unhappy with things that they are doing. And I don't disagree with that at all. But uh, recognition is something that I don't think we should use as a diplomatic tool. What kind of steps would you think? Well, you know, you can start with the symbolic stuff of calling your ambassador home. You can uh, do a thorough review of your relationships with, uh, with uh, Saudi Arabia. You can uh, threaten certain sanctions in certain areas. Uh, but, you know, Canada has so little leverage in the Middle East, generally speaking, and certainly with Saudi Arabia, that I don't know that it's going to make a heck of a lot of difference. I mean, I think we have to, we have to, if it's proven that this was actually an attempt to carry out an assassination on Canadian soil, we have to make it very clear that we're very, that we're really unhappy about this. But, uh, but, but fundamental steps to be taken, there's not really a lot that we can do about it. What do you think, Ferry? Is this just about trade when you look at the the way the two countries work together? Or it, to me, it doesn't seem like it's very much between the two, other than the, obviously the military weapons. Well, as a former diplomat, you wouldn't be surprised me to, saying that there are allies with whom we have to talk. There are allies with whom we can talk about taking some measures, some, some counter-saction. Uh, we want to have much sway in Washington, but with the European, we could develop a more aggressive policy towards Saudi Arabia, when in terms of arms sales, there's, you know, they're profiting from, in fact, the lack of unity within the Western world. And because of that, they're having it got free with the US. Mind you, if Biden comes to power, they'll have to start looking at their copybook anew, because it's going to be an entirely different set of relationship, not that the US would not continue to sell weapons as they do to the rest of the world, the way the French do everybody. 
But the, the, the question is, to what extent, considering what David just said in terms of our, our weak, weak hand on any given uh, foreign policy issue, we should be looking towards our allies. But on, on another point that David made is that certainly you don't want to cut relationship. It's a bit like our policy towards Russia. Not talking to Russia is not a foreign policy. It's just a, a numb reaction to what the Russians have done in Ukraine. But basically, we need to talk to the enemies as much as to our friends. Otherwise, it's rather useless. Peggy, ethics. If we sell arms to Saudi Arabia and basically because of poor human rights, do we not have to sell to everyone else? Because, you you know, you'd be sort of picking and choosing. Well, in fact, we are, you know, we're party to a to an international treaty, which actually sets out standards on which uh, we're supposed to base those exports. And the, the very first, the, the, the highest standard is not um, is not being complicit in in serious breaches of international law, war crimes, crimes against humanity, torture, uh, through knowingly exporting weapons to a country that is behaving that way. So, in fact, we have an international obligation not to export arms when we know that a country is going to abuse those arms. Unfortunately, with respect to Saudi Arabia, the government has used every imaginable uh, uh, explanation to try and get around that. I mean, they basically, uh, I mean, if we don't have video of, uh, a, a, of, a, of an up-to-date, modern, light-armored vehicle driving over uh, a, a women with, you know, a bunch of pregnant women and newborn babies, the government is going to find a way to say that Canadian, you know, Canadian weapons being uh, exported to, and particularly the light-armored vehicles, but also other weapons as, do, as well, sniper rifles, for example, are not being used to commit human rights abuses. But there are legions of reports, UN reports and uh, other reports like Oxfam Canada, uh, with people on the ground in Yemen in that terrible conflict where Saudi Arabia is the leader of, of, the, uh, of, one, of the coalition, of one, one side, the, the pro-government coalition. Um, there are legions of reports on the, on the misuse of, uh, of, of uh, military equipment. And, there are, and the other aspect that's so frustrating, which doesn't get enough attention in Canadian media, is that Canada, Canada says, well, if we don't do it, that they did make this argument at one point, others will. Well, most of our allies are not. And in fact, even the US would not be exporting arms to Saudi Arabia if Congress had its way. Twice, Trump has vetoed congressional bans on arms exports to Saudi Arabia, and most, and the, Euro, the, the UK court has ruled that their exports uh, are contrary to international law. And Norway, and Denmark, and Sweden, and Belgium, Belgium, which makes the turrets for Canada's light armored vehicles, Belgium has stopped exporting the turrets because they're being put on Canadian labs to go to Saudi Arabia. So ethics, I mean, we're not following ethics. And we're not following uh, international law and we're not following most of our allies in terms of our arms exports to Saudi Arabia. And apparently the government has um, negotiated a new a new deal where they won't uh, be penalized. They won't suffer a huge penalty if they follow Canadian and international law, except that the government is still is still uh, is still green lighting the, uh, the exports. And, you know, as Foreign Minister Champagne said 
that he didn't know anything about this alleged assassination attempt on Canadian soil when he negotiated the, the, the latest revision of the contract, but he would bring, them up, bring it up with him at the earliest opportunity. Well, you know, what he mm-hmm. should be doing is saying no new permits will be granted. Now, obviously, uh, Canada had put uh, the brakes on sending the labs after the Khashoggi murder, but in they April... Only, I've got to jump in. They, they right. didn't. That was one of the big... This is the game playing. This is the game playing. They put a moratorium on new export permits, but under existing permits, a record number of exports went ahead. 2019 was the largest year ever, $2.5 billion worth of arms exports, most of them labs. So that's the game. That's that's the game playing. That's that that they say they've got an, a, a moratorium, but it's only on on new permits and under existing permits they continue to export. And now the moratorium has been lifted, and now they're granting new permits. But if they were going to put a moratorium because of Khashoggi, then surely if there's an assassination attempt involving a Canadian resident, they should rethink their position. Canada, uh, David, every relationship has a a reason. What's the reason for the Canada-Saudi Arabia relationship? Well, Saudi Arabia is an important country in that area. And, uh, you know, our relationship with Saudi Arabia is a troublesome one for a lot of reasons. First of all, uh, it has to do with our relationship with Iran. Obviously, we have a very poor relationship with Iran, and Iran... Uh, threatens many of uh, of the West interests in that in that region and in other places in the world. Saudi Arabia stands against Iran. This thing that's going on with Yemen, with the Houthis, which are backed by Iran, is another example of this uh, problem that we've got to deal with there. Uh, and of course, they they once were a major source of Canadian oil. They're not anymore, but they were. Um, so it's uh, it, it's kind of very difficult to try to ignore them. Uh, you have to have a relationship with them. I think you have to try to guide them, if you can, to do things that you yourself uh, don't want to see done or don't want to see done. Uh, guide them to stop doing that. Uh, I'd like to see evidence of whether or not they sent an assassination ch- team to Canada. I mean, the RCMP or CSIS ought to know that. And if they did, that's really a grievance, uh, uh, a very, a very uh, difficult thing that they did. They should not have done it, and we need to stand up against it. As far as some of the other stuff is concerned, you know, uh, they they oppress uh, women, they oppress uh, religious minorities, but so many other countries that we that we have relationships with are no worse than they are in that regard. Maybe they're just a little bit richer and uh, swing a little bit more weight in the Middle East. Interesting. All right, now, Ferry, how's our relationship with Saudi Arabia impacted by our relationship with the U.S.? That's a very complex question in a sense that if the U.S. under Trump had not been so cozy to Saudi Arabia and particularly MBS, maybe we could have felt more ease to be harsher on Saudi Arabia. But the economic interest, don't forget that when you're talking about those little jeets, as the prime minister used to refer to them, they're built by by GDLS uh, in London, and it's a Canadian but it's basically an American company and a Canadian subsidiary. So the economic interwinding between our two countries is such that it's very difficult to have a, a, a different tag than the Americans. Trump helps us in the sense that he's so egregious that even some members of Congress are somewhat concerned and have he, he actually vetoed two legislation that the Congress was trying to put forward 
on the relationship with Saudi after Khashoggi. But I, I think this, the, 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 the importance of Saudi Arabia as a partner has to do as well with the region as a whole. And David underlined that point. In fact, if you leave aside all the very valid point that Peggy made, there is still more stability in the GCC than in the rest of the region. And that is very attractive for Canadian business. And so in a way, you and I'm sorry, I don't shouldn't do a gesture, but you go to Saudi Arabia, you put your, no, your hand on your nose mm. and you continue to trade with them. But to the point, some of the points that, that were made by Peggy, you have to also to add the fact that the CCC, which was a contractor for the for the Jeeps, actually didn't have a human rights provision or didn't apply it in, in the examination, which brought them not to even have that as a consideration. So that, that is more to adduce what, uh, what Peggy was saying. But it, it, it's right that, that the contract is now back in tra- on track. What is intriguing about Saudi Arabia is the myth of their openness towards women. And I keep on coming back to that. Oh, they can now drive. And it is yeah. as phony as many other things. The fact that they are allowed to drive is because there are more and more women in Saudi offices as the needs for administration, for different kind of jobs in, 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 in offices. And they just can't have a man surveying, driving them all along. But that's not a measure of freedom. It's a measure of bureaucratic to achieve better economic results. It has nothing to do with some, some affection all of a sudden for women freedom. So there's, there's, a lot, there's, there's, there's a lot at stake. But coming back to the U.S. dimension, I don't even think that the relationship, if Biden wins, will change to that extent. I think the Saudis themselves will be much more careful because Biden will will certainly talk human rights, not, not like, like Trump does. And I think the Saudi will have to make amends and find another way. Can MBS do that, uh, particularly after what he's done to Nayef and once the, the, the king dies? I don't know. He, uh, MBS has to reinvent himself if he wants to actually bring his country to where he wants it to go. And, and a final little point, because I, I, the Jeep contract, I, I was always amused. And I know Peggy once criticized me for supporting it because yeah. I thought it was a done deal. But the APC, that little Jeep, as referred to earlier by the prime minister, has a 90 millimeter gun on top of its, of its um, rail. And when I was doing my military service in tanks, my gun was 90 millimeters, so it's a pretty powerful weapon that can mm. reach a target at 10 kilometers with the utmost precision. So we're talking about very lethal equipment. Now, we've got a question coming in from our uh, Facebook and YouTube uh, viewers uh, to each panelist, and we'll start with you, Peggy. Do you think Canada should respond more strongly to the revelation that a Saudi hit squad came to Canada? If yes, how? Well, I mean, you know, this is a court case. I mean, I think we have to, uh, I think the government should make a statement. Uh, Foreign Minister Champagne has, has, has intimated, but I think a much stronger statement should be made couched in terms of, you know, if the evidence supports this, then this, you know, this would be a very serious violation of uh, Canadian uh, sovereignty. Um, I mean, we haven't really looked at it. It's very, very interesting. This is a court case launched in the United States, launched in Washington, D.C., at the epicenter of uh, of sort of Saudi power. And, you know, it's under legislation which which allows foreigners to bring claims 
uh, for grievous violations, you know, torture, uh, death, and, and, and so on. But it's very interesting because what it's doing is it's, I mean, the legal case itself is very important, but it's also in the filings, it's, it's showing, it's laying bare to the American public and to Congress the, net, the way Saudi Arabia operates, the way it has created this network of, uh, of, with money, network of NGOs and business interests and members of Congress, so that um, there's so, it's enmeshed itself so much that it's very, very difficult for the government to kind of not do um, what it wants. And so this court case is kind of laying that bare. Now, I don't think Canada happily that is not the situation in Canada. There isn't that, that, you know, those tentacles, those Saudi tentacles are not out there in the way that they are in the U.S. So I think it's a very salutary lesson for us that we had better, we had better think very clearly about the messages that we send to, to um, Saudi Arabia about, you know, the unacceptability of this action. And, you know, the court, the, the, the media reports suggest that, off the record, um, RCMP and CSIS, or at least sources inside, have said that, and the FBI, that they actually warned Canada. They warned Canada about this hit squad. It wasn't just that the Canadian Border Services people were, were, you know, were really on the ball. It was the fact that they'd been tipped off about this, this potential hit squad coming. I mean, that's getting pretty serious when you've yeah. got you know, intelligence agencies and law enforcement from other countries tipping you off about a hit squad coming into your country. So, so I think it, it's worth, um, it's worth uh, it, a strong statement has to be made that, you know, these allegations are very, very troubling. And I think the foreign minister should at least call in the Saudi ambassador for some sort of explanation. We have to say we're going to be following this case extremely closely and uh, I think this case has the potential to really shake things up because it's laying bare. It's going to try to lay bare to the uh, American public just, you know, how troublesome the, uh, this relationship is with Saudi Arabia. And, uh, you know, I think a lot, lots of Americans, not least because of September 11 attacks, already have concerns. And I think this yeah. is going to, you know, that's going to raise them e- even further. All right, David, well, what do you think? Well, there's actually been a precedent for this. Uh, what is it? 20, 25 years ago, a Turkish diplomat was uh, assassinated oh, right. on yeah. Island Park Drive. And there was very little that we did uh, in response to that. A lot of diplomacy is symbolic. And I don't mean by that that it's useless. It's not useless. Symbolism is very, very important. But here you've got to, if, if, if this in fact was the case, I think you've got to make it very plain to Saudi Arabia this is unacceptable. We, uh, we will do whatever we can to stop this from happening on a territory. But there's really not a lot you can do. Uh, there's, uh, you know, to embargo Saudi goods, there's very few Saudi goods that come into Canada in the first place. Uh, to uh, refuse diplomatic relations or to call your ambassador home, that's not a bad idea. Call your ambassador home for a month or so. But that's the problem. Um, we are not we are not in the world a very powerful country, and there are not very many things that we can do when uh, actions that are as egregious as this are are attempted on Canadian soil. I mean, we have to make it clear that it's unacceptable. We don't mm. agree with it, etc., etc., etc. But being practical, there's not a lot you can actually do. What do you think, Ferry? 
Well, I, you know, one of the things that is always upsetting me because I've been, I lived in those countries is, for instance, when I see that there are fatwas against uh, al-Jabri, that he should be killed, it doesn't take much for the Canadian government to denounce the, the issuance of those kind of fatwa. Now, you have to understand that, for instance, the Grand Mufti of Cairo had to deal with 600 uh, fatwa proposal per week. And so they keep on coming and coming. But for us, it's, it would be important to denounce to denounce these. I, I, I want to look at the longer term perspective, in a sense, to what extent is there hope or not that the, the regime of MBS would soften, not just because of the Biden, Biden potential, but also because the economic situation of Saudi Arabia, because of the COVID-19 affecting nearly 300,000 people, because of the fuel price having crater, uh, to what extent the vision that he had uh, on, on the um, Vision 30, 2030 mm-hmm. with this new city called Neom or whatever, Neom Light or whatever it is, uh, the Yemen disaster, to what extent all of this is now piling on to give us, and coming back to both David and, and, and Peggy, does that give us a a greater uh, power of pressure to get them to behave better, saying, listen, guys, you're going south, and it's high time you redeem yourself. I don't think a single voice by Canada would make any difference, and that's why I keep on talking about having more initiatives. You know, when I see Mrs. Ardren in, in New Zealand having you know initiatives like no longer publicizing crimes like they were committed in their country, we could have associated ourselves with that. We didn't. The French, of course, did Macron. Did. So we, we lack imagination. We lack this kind of capability to react to the event and even to, to imagine even before the events come. And I think that's where we're laggard. Now, mind you, Canada being a laggard when it's not in, in tune with the U.S. is a normal situation. You know, you know, I just jump in on MBS. Sure. I mean, I think we're missing a point here. In a in a way, and this has been said by by a number of people, not just me. I mean, MBS, you know, in some ways is very much like Trump. I mean, he really, really is. He's in, he's he's in, he's incredibly vindictive. He's incredibly petty. No one else, he knows everything. No one else can tell him anything. I mean, he's these fatwas are being issued against not against sort of dissidents wanting more free speech. They're against erstwhile insiders, folks that were very high up, like this, uh, you know, former intelligence, counterintelligence chief who's now in Canada. He, he won't brook any difference of view. It's one, you know, what was described today, I heard, a, I heard someone describe him as a one-man rule, a one-voice rule. So he's very problematic, and it is really undermined. I mean, this Vision 2030 is going nowhere because he just... Uh, he he won't allow the kinds of reforms and openings that are necessary that are necessary in order to really make the kind of transformation that needs to be made. So he is really he's really the problem, and of course he's very insecure because he wasn't the choice. He really wasn't mm-hmm. the broad choice for leader. It's this bizarre situation with uh, you know the father uh, going somewhat senile and suddenly choosing him. And Instead so he's very, very insecure, and he um, he's trying to get rid of every possible adversary. And, and so, um, you know, he would be seen, it's only because of this close relationship with Trump 
that he wouldn't have, uh, you know, that he wouldn't be seen by the U.S. as well as very as very problematic. But if 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 I may point, there is one very powerful weakness, if I may call it that way, with MBS, because the previous way of managing things in the Saudi Arabia was this collegiate set of various friends, and it was a tug and flow, and it was kind of a bit of Wayong Indonesian style. Today, it's all MBS. And at a certain stage, maybe the, the amount of error and mistake and eventually would create an opposition because he is the guy responsible for everything that is going wrong. But he's killed them all off. Everything is going well. But he's killed them all off. I mean, he's killed oh, there's still off some, there's still all some of living. the opposition or driven, them or, 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 or driven them out. I mean, Obama, I mean, I think it's very important when you talk about Iran, and David raised the question of Iran. I mean, Obama, the Joint Co- uh, uh, Comprehensive Plan of Action, you know, the nuclear deal, was the first step in a rebalancing. It was to try and end this this determination of both Saudi Arabia, one and Iran on the other, to be, you know, the top dog. And it was to rebalance the relationship and have a better relationship among the three, United States and uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia. And the, and, the, and the nuclear deal was the first step in that. And, uh, and, and that's, I mean, I, I, don't think, I don't think Biden has that kind of vision, but I think he's already said he wants to get back to the deal. So at least he wants uh, to get that back on track again. Whether he has the broader vision, I don't know. Because, you know, if you talk about, and you know, again, David, David said about, oh, look at all the trouble Iran's causing in Yemen. Not true. They have given almost no, they, they, they've given political support to the Houthis. All of the experts say there is a real civil war going on. The Houthis, you know, they'll take arms if they can be smuggled through, although the last right. reports say the arms but aren't getting right. They are getting their arms from Iran. Yeah. No, they're very- getting very, very few arms from Iran. And Saudi Arabia is an actual active player in the conflict. So the difference between the, the roles the two are playing and the Houthis are their own, you know, they, they are driving the action. They they will they will take and in fact they resent very much any kind of direction that might come from Iran. But all of which to say there is another path. Blind allegiance or or letting Saudi Arabia do whatever it likes is not our only choice. There was another way starting to be mapped out by Obama, which could really have have, have borne fruit. And of course Saudi you know Saudi and and actually MBS wouldn't have got where he's gotten if he hadn't had the full support of. Uh, of Trump and uh, and Kushner, he put you know he may well at an earlier stage have been you know ushered off the stage. Uh, but da- now, David, M- MBS being the uh, obviously seems to be the problem here. I- I'm wondering it. You know, we've seen strong men before; they have been overthrown. They have you know. In this case, he's he still has his father who could, in the last, still determine he's not going to take over, right? Well, you know, I, he's not a very consistent guy. Uh, no. And let's just take the issue that uh, impacts by province more than anything else. Uh, the, the oil price war against Russia, with Russia and, and Saudi Arabia bidding each other down to the point where oil was v- v- worth, worth virtually nothing. And now they're all suffering because they're not getting the revenues from pumping out the oil that they were getting before. And it looks very much like the next OPEC meeting is going to be one that's going to put further, that's going to further curtail production. And what that says to me is that MBS was wrong. Yes. He, what he was trying to do was, uh, it was not going to be able to do that. And, uh, 
so, you know, the guy's not perfect by a long shot. And um, I think he's inconsistent. Uh, I don't know enough about the internal dynamics of Saudi government to know whether or not his position is secure. But I would say, you know, he made a big mistake with that one. And everyone is paying for it now. Yeah, very uh, big, big uh, change from our podcast last week about this to today. And uh, we have normalization of relations between the United Arab Emirates and Israel. And where is that going to leave Saudi Arabia? Well, it's intriguing that Kushner immediately said that Saudi Arabia was going to join pretty soon. I, I think one has to first look at that agreement, which is important, and there is a positive side to it, to the extent that if you join the powerhouse of Israel with the powerhouse of the Emirates, you can bring some progress in the region. So it is possible. But there's a lot of condition to that, because, of course, on the, the negative side, what I call the, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, On the of course, the ugliness of it is that it puts the Palestinian even in a worse shape than before, because the creation of the Arab League was meant to prevent the creation of the State of Israel without the State of Palestine. The fat plan of Beirut in 92 was to provide the recognition by all Arab state of Israel in exchange for the creation of Palestine. That has not taken place. Now it's all by the wayside, and brother, uh, brother Netanyahu insisted that, oh, this was only provisional, annexation would eventually come back. Yeah, it's it's so it's it's really... It's yes, but it's Iran, but what does UAE get? We, I, I want to come back to this point. Okay, okay. <laughs> Iran, UAE and Iran are big trading partners. And so UAE gives Trump his big uh, foreign policy win. And in return, they get to continue to trade with Iran when everyone else is squashed down with draconian sanctions. So, you know, there's, anyway, to, there's to, the to cynical finish, to finish my, there's, there's the cynical deal there. Okay, Peg, let Ferry to finish off here. Okay, to, to finish, <laughs> to my point, <clears throat> what I'm trying to say is that, first of all, the relationship between the UAE and Israel were long in place, and now it's only legitimizing what has happened before. And it has, Israel has had relation with Arab state for a long time. Dryland farming in Morocco is a product of Israel cooperation. Winemaking in Egypt is done by Israeli tourists that, that fly in. And once they're outside, when they got into landing, they become workers on the, on the wine. So it's, it's, to me, that's where the legitimization of what is going on. But coming back to the point that you were asking it, what does it mean for Saudi Arabia? <clears throat> well, Saudi Arabia is, in fact, the country, you know, the, the, the point is, sorry, let me backtrack. Trump has succeeded in ensuring by pitting the Arabs against Iran to make sure that the issue of the Palestine would no longer be a hindrance between the U.S. and them. So the Palestinians are not even on the radar screen and, and, the, and the Trump man is still there. You know, it's delayed. So in a way, the Saudis, from their perspective, for, for them, it's a win-win. The issue is not UAE. The issue is what do they do with Qatar, which is, has been put aside, shunned by, by the GCC because of its relationship with Iran. And, and don't forget, Qatar is still one of the greatest producers of natural gas. And to that extent, that's why the Saudis, who are in deep doo-doo from, from an economic point of view, would love to invade Qatar if they could 
to take control of it. So we're talking about an agreement that has some very strong positive, because I still believe that Israel and UAE together could launch, hopefully, in, in a rebirth of the economy in the region, if that region could settle, but you still have Syria, you still have Iraq, you still have those issues. But from that perspective, there's something positive, but the underpinning is, is electoral politics for Trump. And what does the UAE win? A recognition of what has already been taking place for years. Well, folks, uh, that's going to wrap up our show once again. I want to thank uh, our guest, David Berkison, Associate Director, International Policy for the University of Calgary School of Public Policy, and looking forward to doing Zoom lectures this fall. Peggy Mason's president of the Rideau Institute, and Ferry de Kirkhoff is a senior fellow of the Faculty of Social Sciences, Graduate School of Public and International Affairs at UOttawa, and a former Canadian ambassador to Egypt. Now, coming up on the next on Published TV, we take a look at a worse relationship Then Canada, Saudi Arabia, Canada, and China. Coming up on the next Unpublished TV. Thanks for watching. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand. Thanks.